Welcome to the podcast of First Baptist Church in Wilson, Oklahoma, preaching the weekly teaching and preaching ministry of the church. We are grateful that you are choosing to join us today. Our prayer is that you are blessed by today's study of God's Word, and your heart will be receptive to what God desires to teach you today. For more information about FBC Wilson, please visit our website at fbcwilson.org. We hope you enjoyed today's service, and we look forward to studying God's Word with you today. Kings chapter 16, if you have a Bible and you want to find a place to start, 2 Kings chapter 16. We have for some time um, been looking at what I've been calling the famous and the infamous from Scripture. It's just been characters, both men and women, both good and bad, both Old Testament and New Testament, um, people that are either famous or infamous um, from Scripture and just spending uh, a night each week looking at a different character and uh, looking at um, who they were. Or, well, let me back up. We ask three questions of each one of these people. We ask, who was, who were they? Why do we know them as far as what, what sticks out? Why, do, why is that somebody that we should be aware of or know about? So who were they? That's biographical, parents, spouses, children, high school mascot, whatever the case may be. Um, why do we know them as far as there's thousands of names that we have in Scripture? So why would we pick that name and that person to think about? tonight. And then the last question we, be, we always end with is what lessons do they teach us? We know that the Bible is given to us. God has revealed His Word to us so that we might know how to ordain our lives and to govern our lives. But at the same time, He also gives us men and women, boys and girls in the Bible and we can see by the way that God interacts with them, by the way that they interact with God, by their successes and by their failures, we can learn things about ourselves. Um, we might think that, oh, you know, we've, we're now 2,000 years, um, um, past the you know past the time of Christ, I would say six thousand years from the time of creation. You may say, well, humanity has changed a lot. Sin is still sin. Selfishness and pride is still the be uh, setting sins that we deal with. And so some things don't change. Maybe the way we live, maybe the food we eat, maybe the clothes we wear, maybe the way we get around transportation. Those things change. But there's still things that we can learn from men and women that have come before us. Things that we can learn about how we can better live obedient, faithful lives before God. So, that's what we've been doing. Different character every single week. We've gone through quite a few of these. Tonight, we're going to be thinking about the person of Hezekiah. Next week, Lord willing, we will be in Isaiah. We'll be talking about the figure of Isaiah. The week after that, we won't be here because that will be between Christmas and New Year's and we're not going to have services that Wednesday night. So, um, kind of kicking around, maybe to do something different after the first of the year, I'm not really certain. Because um, we've kind of ran, um, this would be, I think, 29 or maybe the 30th different character we've looked at. Um, so, if some of you have some characters that you're thinking about, that you're like, hey, we didn't talk about this. Why don't we talk about them? Um, get, let me know. Let me know after the service. Or let me know another time. And I'm happy. I'm happy to dig into them. And I'm happy to uh, spend some time with them. So if there's ones that we didn't cover or we haven't covered, or maybe if there's ones that you forgot about that we can go back and cover again and treat it like it's brand new, we can do that as well. But 
Tonight we're going to be talking about Hezekiah. We've got you there in 2 Kings 16 because that is kind of a ballpark area. If you think about, um, is there anywhere else where we talk about Hezekiah in Scripture? Yes. So you think about First and Second Samuel, that is kind of summarized in First Chronicles. Then you have First and Second Kings, and much of that, there's a parallel summarized in Second Chronicles. So if you're wanting to get more information or maybe from a different perspective, you could go to Second Chronicles chapter 29 through chapter 32, and you have a parallel rendering of Hezekiah. It probably won't be word for word, but if you want to see it from a different perspective or maybe add a little bit of flavor, Second Chronicles 29 through 32 would be a good place to start. So thinking about the character of Hezekiah, let's get to the first question. Who was he? What do we know factual or biographical? What do we know about Hezekiah? Any ideas? Any suggestions? Any thoughts? He was the son of Ahaz and Abijah. How do we know that? Because it's in Second Kings. Where? Sixteen. Yeah, probably. Yeah, that's a really good. That's, that's a really good idea. Okay, and, and so you know, I do this because I want us to know that we're not just making stuff up. We're not just going to gotquestions.org and just put it in a keyword. Um, I really want us to be able to say that everything that we get, the information we get, it's coming from Scripture. So I encourage us to be able to say, hey, according to chapter and verse, this is what we know about him. Just so you don't think I'm making something up, or you don't just pull a slick one past us. So Miss Shaney, so his name is. His his dad's name is Ahaz. We get that out of 2 Kings verse 20. Is that where you're at? I bet you that's where you're at. Probably. Probably. Okay. I figure you're probably just checking me out. Okay. So you just want to make sure. So yes. So 2 Kings chapter 16 verse 20 is where we get the idea of who his father's name is. His father's name is Ahaz. It says in 16 and 20. And Ahaz slept with his fathers and was buried with his fathers in the city of David. And Hezekiah his son reigned in his place. Any idea where we find out his mother's name? 18. Besides searching. 18. 18? 18 what? 18-1. 18-1? Okay. So, if you think about it, if you're looking at your Bible, um, chapter 16 kind of introduces Hezekiah. Chapter 17 gives us an interlude, and we go to a different character. And then chapter 18 picks back up the story of Hezekiah, and it carries him all the way through chapter 20. So you got chapter 16, skip 17, and then 8 through 220 focus on Hezekiah. So, in 18 and verse 2, it says, he, talking about Hezekiah, um, was 25 years old and began to reign, and he reigned 29 years in Jerusalem, and his mother's name was Abby, the daughter of Zechariah. Now, did you you said Abishiah? Abisha. Abisha. Okay, it may it may be in a different translation, or maybe in the Chronicles it, it uses a different name. But here in my translation it says his mother's name was Abby. Okay, so it's, he got a father named Ahaz. He's got a mother named Abby. What else do we know about him? She was the daughter of Zechariah, which you might think, well, is that the same Zechariah that was the minor prophet? No. There's, well, I, sh- I can't say no because I don't have the birth certificates in front of me, but there's nothing given in Scripture that connects the two. So, it just says that's her dad, Zechariah, which was not a very, which was not a super uncommon name. Okay? So we got the father, we got the mother. Did he have a wife? Yes. Yes? How do we know that? 
Chapter 21. Chapter 21. Man, Mr. Pete's on it. Alright, so chapter 21, and in verse 1, you will see where it says, Manasseh was 12 years old. Hold up, Spence. We're talking about Hezekiah. Yes, but Manasseh was Hezekiah's son, which you get that there in verse 21 in chapter 20. So it says in chapter 21 in verse 1, Manasseh was 12 years old when he began to reign, and he reigned 55 years in Jerusalem. His mother's name was... Yes. yes. <laughs> okay. is what I, is my is my swing at it. Now, does that mean that that was Hezekiah's wife? It means it was Manasseh's mama, but it doesn't say specifically that it was Hezekiah's wife. You would say, well, Spence isn't that split in hairs. Well, maybe, but you think back in that time, they would have wives, they would have concubines, and then they may have interest. <laughs> so we, we can assume, I don't think anybody in the room would be wrong if they say that was his wife. In fact, I put it here in my notes. Wife, question mark. Um... I, would, I wouldn't feel wrong if I said that was his wife. It's just the way it's presented in Scripture doesn't say Hezekiah's wife's name was such and such. So I just, I want, to be, I just want to be as clear as possible that when you walk out of here, you don't say, well, Spence said that Hezekiah's wife was, because I, I can't guarantee that, but that is the, the son's mother. So... Pretty good indication that's probably a wife. So, got a father, got a mother, got a wife. We've already talked about that he had a son named Manasseh. Okay? It doesn't give us... Do we have any... Well, I shouldn't... I'm getting ahead of myself. Do we have any other record of children? I couldn't find anything. Alright? So, maybe somebody can find something that I didn't. But, um, there's no other record that we have that he had any other children besides Manasseh. We could assume or infer that he probably had other children. They just weren't recorded... Um, in the in the genealogy, they just weren't recorded in the historical writings because in that time there were people that had lots and lots of children. Anybody remember? This is extra credit. Anybody remember how many children Gideon had? Seven. Good job, Charles. Star. Okay. So I mean, so you had a man like Gideon, and he it was just recorded that he had seventy sons, right? Maybe had some other daughters. So this was a busy guy. Alright? So so you had, in that time, you had people that had multiple children. So we, we I don't think it would be wrong to infer or to think that he probably had more than just Manasseh. Anybody have an idea of what kind of time period we're talking about? Oh, that's double extra credit. Like how long he ruled? Is that what you're No, like time period, like dates. Probably before the crucifixion. But yes, ma'am. So we're going to be in the BC time. Yes, ma'am. Yes. So roughly, if you were to map this out in a diagram, which I've spent money to buy the books that have done it for me, um, you you map this out of the diagram. We're roughly about 716 BC ish um, is when he began or when he um, started. Yeah, when he was born, 716 to about 687. Remember, it counts down in B.C. So we're roughly later, the end of the 700s into the beginning of the 600s B.C. Make sense? All right, what else do we know about him? He was one of the few good kings during that era. He was. So he was a king. Do we know where he was a king at? Judah. Judah. He was a king of Judah. How do we know that? Because it says in the Bible. <laughs> okay. 
That's fine. I, that, I'm not saying that's a bad answer. I'm just, I just want to encourage us. 18 1 is where it says that he was king in Judah. Okay, very good. So Hezekiah. The son of Ahaz, king of Judah, began to reign. What is significant? Anybody remember what is significant about why they would say king of Judah? Because, yes, because the, 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 the 12 tribes had split, alright? So, remember, so let's go back and do a little history view, okay? So you've got Judah, which was one kingdom. And what was it? Was there more than, how many kingdoms were there? There were two kingdoms. Alright, so you had Judah and who? Israel. Israel. Alright, geographically, which one was north and which one was south? Israel. Israel was the center. No. Take your extra credit. Okay, so Israel. So, geographically speaking, if you think of a map of modern day Israel, Israel is considered the ten northern tribes. Alright, that's why you have Samaria and all that area up north, and that is closer to Syria. We'll get to that in a second. And then you had the two tribes which composed Judah. And you had Judah, and what was the other tribe with Judah? Benjamin. Benjamin. Oh, you get your extra credit back. Alright, so, so you had the two southern tribes, and remember, when did they split? Anybody remember when they split? After Solomon. After Solomon. After Solomon, okay? So, Solomon had a son named Rehoboam. Rehoboam. Oh, man, you're <laughs> killing it. All right, so Solomon had a son named Rehoboam, all right? And Rehoboam took the throne, and there were some people that came to Rehoboam and said, hey, you know what? Your dad was kind of a jerk. And he levied, this is my paraphrase, he levied some taxes on us, and we weren't really crazy about it. Would you be willing to give us a little relief? And Rehoboam said, go away, come back in a few days, I'm going to give you an answer why he left. He asked the more senior advisor, and they're like, you know what? If you'd play nice with him, they would really give you the loyalty. And then he turned around with his buds um, that he had gone to school with and they're like, no. You know what? Forget those people. Tell them that you're in charge now and you're going to make them do what you want to. He listened to his buds from school, showed back up, he gave them the word. The ten northern tribes said, there's a guy named Jeroboam and we're going to go and he is going to be our leader. And so you had the tribes, they split. The ten northern tribes went with a man named Jeroboam and he he became their first leader. And then you had Judah, the two southern tribes, continued with Rehoboam. You can go back there. Uh, this is First Kings chapter 12 where this is going on. You can go back and there was some fighting that went on and eventually the two kingdoms kind of separated and that is why you get to the end of First Kings and into Second Kings and as you're reading this that's why, verse, that's why chapter 17 here in Second Kings diverts because it focuses on the king of Judah and then chapter 17 switches gears and goes to the king of Israel. So if you're reading through there and you're reading you're like, hold up a second who? What happened to this guy? What What's going on here? It's because it's recording it kind of simultaneously. You're having the kingdoms of Judah and the kingdom of Israel, and they're tracking them both concurrently, if you will. So that's why sometimes it can be a little confusing if you if you haven't got that, if you don't have that in the back of your mind when you're looking through there. Alright, so he is king of Judah. Anybody know? I don't even think Charles is gonna know this one. Anybody know what number? Of king he is from the division. How'd you know that? He just it. How'd you know that? No, it doesn't say it in there. I was doing a calculation. No, you did not. You just.
just he just came up with a number. You you got your phone out. What the deal is? Ah, okay. All right. So yes, Mr. Mark is right. So what does get a star and a cookie at lunch recess and a cookie at recess? All right. So yes. So Hezekiah is the twelfth king after Judah and Israel split. The two kingdoms divided. All right. So you had Judah down there. Rehoboam was the first king of that tribe or that kingdom of Judah and then from him now you have Hezekiah and he is the 12th king to rule over the the, uh, kingdom of Judah since the division. What else do we know about him? How old was he when he became when he started to rule? 25. 25. And let me guess you're in chapter 18 and verse 2. You said it ah, I, I did. I did read it earlier. I just didn't know if you, I didn't know if people were listening, Tom. All right. So in eighteen and verse two, it said that he was twenty-five when he took the throne. And how long did he reign? Twenty-nine. Twenty-nine years. It says that in verse two, two, doesn't it? All right. Verse two, two. All right. So you have. Um, he's twenty-five. He reigns for twenty-nine years. All right. Anything else that we know about him that would be biographical information, facts, data? Actually, reigned ten years of that with his son. Yes, yes, co-regent. Yes, and we'll we'll get to that more and why he sticks out to us. The only other thing that you all haven't mentioned yet is I just wrote down, and of course this may not count, but I wrote down that he was a contemporary of Isaiah. I mean, Isaiah is a large, one of the large books in the Old Testament, and so our Isaiah is a large figure. So if we think about kind of when this reign was going on and what other prophets and what other people were on the scene during that time, um, I just wrote down that I, you know, just when you try to place them historically, you try to place them scripturally, he was a contemporary of Isaiah. So... Wasn't he king when Israel got taken into captivity? Hezekiah? Yeah. No. No, you said when Israel got taken into captivity? Yeah. There you go. Alright, so. <laughs> So let's ask the question, well, why do we know him? Okay, so we have some biographical information about Hezekiah. What is it that sticks out of Scripture? I mean, obviously he's got chapter 16, chapter 18 through chapter 21. Okay, so he's got a pretty large portion of Scripture devoted to him, devoted to his reign. So what are some things that we know about him that make him somebody that we're going to spend our evening together now thinking about him. Anything that sticks out starting even back in chapter 16, is there things that stick out that we say that is why we know about him? Okay, he was at war with Syria. Okay. We'll we'll circle back around to that. First thing I want you to think about is his father. So we mentioned his father at the very beginning, Ahaz. Do you remember anything about Ahaz? Not Ahab, alright, that's, that's, a, that's a different clown, alright? So if you go back in your Bibles there to chapter 16, okay, it talks about the end of chapter 16 about um, 
Hezekiah coming to reign. But if you go back to the beginning of chapter 16, it talks about Ahaz. I find it, personally, I find it to be important when you think about, hey, who is his model? Who is the example? Who was his father when we think about the life that he lived? So when we think about Hezekiah, you know, you may think about, um, I think like what Peter said as far as the reforms and the return back to worship. But at the same time, it also helps to think about why was that such a monumental shift? And that helps to think about, well, who was his father? If you look back up there in chapter 16, um, verse 2, about halfway through the verse, it says, And he, talking about Ahaz, he did not do what was right in the eyes of the Lord his God as his father David had done. But he walked in the way of the kings of Israel. He even burned his son as an offering according to the despicable practices of the nations whom the Lord drove out before the people of Israel. Now, obviously that wasn't Hezekiah because he's going to continue to be on the scene. But can you imagine Hezekiah sitting there and he's got the kind of dad that to try to appease these pagan gods takes one of his siblings and burns his sibling as a sacrifice and offering. I don't know about you, but if I was Hezekiah, I'd be kind of like going... I'm watching my back. I'm looking out for myself because I have no idea what happens if dad tries to put a sacrifice or an offering to another God next week. I mean, if that's what he does to our children, can you imagine such a twisted, depraved, spiritually dark attitude that says to try to appease a false idol and a false God, I will take a child and I will burn the child as a sacrifice. So this is the legacy of his father. And then, if we had the time, and we don't, and you can go back and look at this if you want to, to make sure I'm not lying to you. Go back to verse 4, all the way down through verse 18. And what Ahaz does, and I'm going to paraphrase it for the sake of time, but Ahaz takes over the throne. The people are mostly devoted to the worship of God. And then he turns them to paganism. He turns them to the things of idols. In fact, he makes a, a, a treaty, and he makes a deal with the ruler of Assyria. And this is all right there in chapter 16. He makes a deal with the the ruler of Assyria, gives him a whole bunch of money, and then actually goes to the capital city of Assyria, sees the big um, altar they use for their pagan worship and their pagan sacrifices. He measures it, takes some pictures of it, and then sends them back to the priest back in Jerusalem and says, you know that altar that God told us to build the sacrifice on that to God? Take it out. I want you to build this altar in its place because when I show back up, we're going to start sacrificing sacrifices on an altar that was a carbon copy of the pagan altar they were using in Assyria. And he turns them and said, in fact, he gets there in 17 and 18 of chapter 16. And he decides he takes all the things that reflected the worship of God away. And in fact, he detracted and he told them, you're not going to do any of those things. All those things that God had commanded as a means of sacrifice and worship to him. We're not doing any of that. We're going to go straight pagan worship. That's the direction. And so when Ahaz dies... When Ahaz dies and Hezekiah steps into the throne, he is coming in after a father who had reigned 16 years in Jerusalem, is what it says back up there in chapter 16 and verse 2. He had reigned 16 years and he had 
to use my language, he had taken the steering wheel and had done a hard left. I mean, he had just gone as hard left as you can imagine. So when Hezekiah steps in and we see the reform that he brought about, I think it's helpful for us to think about it wasn't done just he wasn't building on what the things his father had done. His father had taken a hard left turn, had pursued paganism, his father was sacrificing his own children, and this is the legacy that Hezekiah inherited. So then you get to chapter 18 of 2 Kings. Hezekiah takes the rule and it says in chapter 18 and verse 3, and he did what was right in the eyes of the Lord according to all that David his father had done. And then starting in verse 4 all the way down through verse 8 you see where Hezekiah comes in and all the things that his dad had done to steer hard to the left. He comes in and brings them right back to the submission, obedience, and devotion to God. That's one of the reasons why we know about who Hezekiah is. Is because of the reform that he brought in. And you may say, well, you know what, it's this generational sin. It's this you know, generational curse. Or my father did that and so I can't help it. And yet, then you get to pick people like Hezekiah and he had grown up. He was 25 years old. His dad had been a ruler for 16 years. That means if my math is right, he was 9 years old when dad took the throne. And so from 9 years old to 25 years old, all he had known was paganism, 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 paganism. He takes a throne at 25 and he goes, you know what? I know what my dad did and I know that's all I've done for the last 16 years, but that isn't what pleases God. I'm going to do what's right before God. And it says there in verse 3 that he did what was right in the eyes of the Lord. I think that is so encouraging. For me, so encouraging to look at this and go, hey, why do we know about him? Well, because of the, the legacy of his father and the heart of Hezekiah. He gets in there on the throne and he doesn't say, well, let me talk about it. Let me think about it. Let me just kind of tread water and just kind of run the, you know, go with the flow. He comes to the throne and he goes, no, we're not doing that. Everybody else was doing that. We're not doing that anymore. And he pursued the favor of God. He reinstituted the sacrifices. He reinstituted the giving um, for the temple worship. He reinstituted the sacrifices and all the rituals. He said, we are going to worship God correctly. So, chapter 16 and the first part of chapter 18, I mean, it's like you have two very stark contrasts between what his father did to what he did. That's one of the reasons why... We know about him just because of the reform and the boldness that he had at 25 years old to say, we're going to do what God said to do. Well, maybe another reason. Do you... I have a, actually, I've got a question. Yes. Um, so kind of working backwards, um, Second Kings kind of seems to be um, like a historical timeline, right? Yes. Is this actually in, you know, so it has like Pekiah rules in Israel and then Pekka and then Jotham. Is that in chronological order? It will be. Yes, ma'am. So you... the, the reason I ask is it's really interesting because when you get to Pekka, which is in 1527, um, he uh, says that he did, did what was evil. And then you go to Jotham, which is in 32, and it's it's like a roller coaster. It goes evil and then good and back and forth all the way through Josiah. Um, and probably further than that, I just didn't get any further than Josiah 
Yes. But it, it, I, it's weird. You will see that. Yeah. You will see the this king did what was evil in the eyes of God. This king did what was right in the eyes of God. And we're going to see it before we're done tonight. Lord willing, when you get to Manasseh, what does it say about Manasseh who followed Hezekiah? I mean, he went straight back to the left. And he went farther left than his grandfather Ahaz had done. And so you see this stark contrast back and forth. And for me, I find it more of a warning sign because even in our days, you know, we may assume that Generations upon generations will be consistent. We have no, we have no reason to have that assumption. I mean, there is, there is nothing that keeps my children, personally, my children, from being straight up heathens apart from the grace of God. I mean, I, my, my wife gets a lot of the credit for helping and God using her. But I mean, at the same time, I mean, it's not like there's anything guaranteed. I mean that, oh, well, because Spencer's trying to do that, that means Spencer's children. No. Or Spencer's grandchildren. No. And you know, that's one of the things we've got to be careful about as a church. We can't take for granted that the next generation is going to automatically know and embrace what we embrace. Um, there's, there's a guy out of Idaho that I listen to, um, and his, one of his lines is, if we don't train the boys, the men won't know. And it's this concept of, it is important what's going on upstairs. It is important what's going on down in the sanctuary. Because those are the people that are going to follow us. And not that we're trying to do some empire building here at First Baptist. But we're talking about impacting and influencing a community. And we can't just take for granted, well, because we are doing what we're supposed to be doing today, we can't take for granted that 15 years from now, things are going to be better or the same. Because it it shifts. Yes, ma'am, it shifts. Yes. What may be another reason why we know about Hezekiah? I can't help but wonder where he got his teachings. Where do you obtain the knowledge from 9 years to 25? You obtain that knowledge somewhere. Yes. Now, it doesn't tell us, Tom, as far as where he got that from, but he had to have been instructed by somebody. Somebody, you know, had to be there. I mean, and, I, and I, unfortunately, um, I'm really grateful this body of believers um, doesn't have that attitude. But I've seen other churches, you know, that they just neglect, you know, they just neglect the investment in children. It's costly. <laughs> they don't tithe. They leave their trash everywhere. They tear stuff up and don't tell you about it. Their behavior is erratic at best. It's work. I mean, children's ministry, student ministry, it's work. And unfortunately, sometimes adults, we just say it's not worth the hassle. And we just neglect that opportunity because we don't see the importance. Because somebody, yes, somebody taught Hezekiah somewhere in his life. What it was like to worship God. Yeah. I'm reaching back in Samuel. You kind of the reference, but I think that was initially to the kings of Israel. But wasn't everybody supposed to write their own copy of the book of the law? Each king, is that not? So, yes. So this goes all the way back to um, Saul and David and even Samuel's instructions about how each of the kings should have a copy of the God's law. Like that is their playbook. That is their how-to manual. Yes. And and they got away from that. Yeah, they got away from that. Well, let me give you another spot. 2 Kings chapter 18. And in verse, uh, starting about in verse 9. So, top 
talked about some reasons why we know him. Um, the legacy of his father, the heart of Hezekiah, that when he took the reign, he took the throne, um, went back to the worship and the submission and obedience to God. But there's another thing that sticks out during the history of Hezekiah that I want to make sure that you're aware of, and that has to do with Assyria. So, about the fourth year of his reign. Assyria came in um, and laid siege to and attacked the ten northern tribes. Came in and uh, end up. This is answers your question, Mr. Mark. Ended up coming in and taking them into exile there in Second Kings chapter eighteen, verses nine through twelve. They even came in. They tried to pay him off. The king of Assyria said, "Nobody. I want more than money. I want money and labor and people and more than that." And so he came in and uh, took them into exile. Well, now he comes down. Anybody remember what year that was when Israel went into exile? 722. So 722 BC is when Israel went into exile and then you have Judah. Does Assyria take Judah into exile? No. No. Who takes takes Judah into exile? Babylon. Babylon. And who is the leader of Babylon? Nebuchadnezzar. Nebuchadnezzar. Anybody remember what year that is? So 596 is when Nebuchadnezzar first comes and ransacks and takes one wave of people back. And then it's 586 when he comes back. And that is when the temple is destroyed and the place is leveled. And that's when the second wave is taken in 586. So we think, um, best case we got, Shadrach, Meshach, Abednego, Daniel, they were all in that first wave. Um, Ezekiel... uh, Ezra, some of those were probably in that first wave. So, y'all get me off that rapture. Alright, so now you get down to chapter 18 and verse 13. And so the king of Assyria, he'd come in there and he had ransacked Israel, taken Israel into captivity. Well, then he comes down to Judah. And he comes down and he starts bowing up his chest and he starts barking real loud and making a bunch of threats against Judah. Hezekiah decides, hey, let me try to pay him off. So in verse 13, he gathers up a bunch of money and says, hey, I have done no wrong. Withdraw from me. That's down there in verse 14. Whatever you impose on me, I will bear. The king of Assyria required of Hezekiah, king of Judah, 300 talents of silver and 30 talents of gold. The problem was, is that he didn't have all that kind of money. Why? Because Ahaz, if you think back to chapter 16, had already gathered up most of the money and plundered most of the resources they had to try to make a treaty with Assyria. So now, 14 years later, Assyria shows up. They demand a price. Hezekiah can't pay it. So then, the king of Assyria sends Rabashakeh is how I'm going to pronounce it. I'm probably going to pronounce it different ways every time I look at it. But Rabashakeh, which is one of his generals, he sends him down to Jerusalem to say, you tell the people that I'm coming and you tell the people they better start trembling now because when we show up, pound it, pound it time, right? So we're going to show up and he shows up there. And verse 19, Rabbi Shaka is uh, trying to talk to Hezekiah, and he's there on the outside of Jerusalem. The city wall is there. The whole place is lined with all these Israelites up on top of the wall. And Hezekiah has a couple of his chief advisors sitting in there. And Rabbi Shaka is down there, and he starts shouting to the people about what is going to happen. And originally, he starts talking to the advisor, and the advisor says, Hey, if you would speak in to us in the language of Assyria, we know the language of Assyria. And Rabbi Shaka says, no, 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 no. I'm going to speak in 
the Hebrew language because I want all these people to know what's coming and I want all these people to be scared. And, and what he's trying to do, he's trying to turn all these people against Hezekiah. Alright? So he shows up and he makes all these big bold claims and you can read that in chapter 18. Most of that chapter 18 is where he comes in there and he's beating his chest and he's saying this is what we're going to do and he says you better let Hezekiah know we're coming and they better get scared and better go ahead and surrender and they better go ahead and open the gates and they better go ahead and have everything ready because we're coming to rock them, sock them. Chapter 19, verse 1. As soon as King Hezekiah heard it, he tore his clothes and covered himself in sackcloth and went into the house of the Lord. And he sent... Eliakim, who was um, over the household, and Shebna, the secretary, the senior priest, covered with sackcloth to the prophet Isaiah, the son of Amos. And they said to him, Thus says Hezekiah, This is the day of distress, of rebuke, and disgrace. Children have come to the point of birth, and there is no strength to bring them forth. So he sends these people to Isaiah to go, Help! Help! We've got problems. Are you hearing this? What are we going to do? He is fearful. I don't blame the guy. He is fearful saying, Isaiah, is there a word from the Lord? Is there any kind of direction that you give us? How do we respond? Verse 6. Isaiah said to them, Say to your master, thus says the Lord, Do not be afraid because of the words that you have heard, which with which the servants of the king of Assyria have reviled me. Behold, I will put my spirit in him so that he shall hear of a rumor and return to his own land, and I will make him fall by the sword in his own land. So Hezekiah is looking at this entire army. Rakshaka comes up here. Rakshaka, whatever his name is. General R shows up, makes all these big bull claims. They're looking at it. And they're like, well, they already took the ten northern tribes into exile. What makes us think that we're any more, uh, more powerful, any more able to withstand them? And so he shows up. Hezekiah then sends these messengers to Isaiah. And Isaiah's like, chill. Chill. God said he ain't coming in. In fact, he's going to hear some rumor and some gossip. And he's going to go back home. And he's going to get killed back home. And you can imagine Hezekiah's like... Can I get like a proof of receipt on that? Can I can I get some kind of a contract on that? Can you kind of give me some kind of a vision and I can see that happen? Well, that's what happened. God promised deliverance through the prophecy of his, uh, of Isaiah. He promised it to the people. Well, as the story goes, and I don't have the time because I'm more I always run short on time. Has, or, Rakshakub goes back to the king of Assyria, and lo and behold, the king of Assyria had heard some other people were causing ruckus, heard some gossip, heard some chitter chatter, and he was off fighting some other people. And so Rakshakub gets back there and he's like, What gives boss? I thought we were going that way, and now you're going that way. So he decides to send a letter back to Hezekiah, and the thrust of the letter is Don't get your hopes up, we're coming back. We will come back and we will do exactly what I said we were going to do. And then if you get down there to verse 32, down through verse 34, it's this idea that he says, nobody's been able to stand up to us until now. No one's going to stand up to us. Come, just don't think that just because we're taking a little detour, taking a little side road, that your time isn't coming. So all of this takes place. Hezekiah hears it. Hezekiah is confronted with it. He gets this letter from Rakshakub. And in verse 14 of chapter 19, it says, Hezekiah received a letter from the hand of the messengers. And he read it. And he went up to the house of the Lord and he spread it before the Lord. He had this this message and he just took it in to the temple. And he just said, God, you see what he says. You see what they're threatening. What do I do? God, I need help. 
God, I need direction. And in chapter 19 and verse 14, he just comes in there, spreads it out before the Lord, and he says, God, what should we do? But then you see what God says. This is down in chapter verse 32. I kind of got ahead of myself. Verse 32. Therefore, thus says the Lord. So the stuff from Sennacherib was verse 8 through 13. I'm sorry, I misquoted out of verse 32 because this is where God starts to speak. Therefore, thus says the Lord concerning the king of Assyria. So God is now speaking through Isaiah and says, Okay, you heard what the king of Assyria said, and you heard what Rakshakab said in verse 8 through 13. Now hear what God says. He, talking about the king of Assyria, he will not come into this city or shoot an arrow over there or come before it with a shield or cast up a siege mount against it. By the way that he came, by the same he shall return. He shall not come into this city, declares the Lord, for I will defend this city to save it for my own sake and for the sake of my servant David. Verse 35. And that night, the angel of the Lord went and struck down 185,000 in the camp of Assyria. That is a bad dude angel. 185,000 people in one night died. And when the people arose early in the morning, behold, these were all these were all dead bodies. I mean, I don't know how many is there, but you just imagine you're in the you're in the army of Assyria and you wake up and you start looking around and it's just like I mean, I think of like uh, what is that? Um, it's a Charleston Heston movie. Spartacus, you know, when he has all, when all the people are out there dead and they're all looking around and you see that carnage everywhere. Okay, so um, what happens to the king of Assyria? Well, it says down there in verse 36, the king of Assyria departed and went home and lived at Nineveh. And when he's worshiping in the house of his god, Nisroch, his god, um, boy one and boy two, his son struck him down with a sword and escaped in the land of Ararat. Who said that was going to happen? God said it was going to happen. God said, I can handle it. I got it. I'm going to take care of it. So you see Hezekiah back in chapter 18 at the beginning of chapter 19. He is in bad shape. He Everything is against him. And then what happens? God says, I'll take care of it. And God handles it. And you think, wow, what a cool, awesome story. Now, what is the difference between that God... And the God today? Nothing. That's right. So God can do that then. Why am I so easily frightened when opposition comes? People come that don't like me, don't agree with me, or want to oppose me. Why am I so easily frightened and intimidated because we, we forget that's a good answer because we forget yeah. I mean it's the same God and you might think Hezekiah said they're going well God said he was going to do it but I don't know how God's going to do it and then one night one angel 185,000 dead people later and now the king of Assyria goes back and he doesn't get killed by some mercenary he doesn't kill, get killed by some sniper in the bell tower he gets killed by his own two sons <laughs> If we weren't pagan, we would say karma, right? You know, so it's one of those things that you think, well, that was his fate. Well, that was his karma. No, that was God calling the shot. You see those baseball movies and that baseball hitter gets up there and he points out there in the field going, that's where the ball's going. And the next thing you know, 
you know, a pitch and a crack of a bat and the ball goes in that same direction. That's what God did. God said, this is what's going to happen and boom, it happened. And I'm sitting here going, that's the same God today. And yet Spence is so easily intimidated. Spence is so easily pushed off course. Spence is so quick to consider compromise or capitulation. Spence is so quick to think about how he can excuse or justify things when God says, don't do it. We see the attack, the proposed attack from Syria and then we see where... God handles it. So, what are some lessons? I got eight minutes. What are some lessons? Any lessons that stick out to you from the life of Hezekiah? Obedience. Yes. Yes. In fact, I wrote here, obedience is always an option. You know, sometimes the world will try to get you and I to think that we have to somehow make peace with godless endeavors. Or we start to think, well, I couldn't help it. There wasn't another choice. I can't provide you a rationale or support from that scripture. What I can find is that option is or obedience is always an option. It may not be the first option. It may not be the easiest option. It may not be the most convenient option. It may not be the most popular option. But obedience is always an option. So whenever I am tempted to go, well, I know that I was wrong, but Charles did it. So, <laughs> doesn't matter. I know that I was wrong, but Steve said I could do it. It doesn't matter. I know that I was wrong, but I didn't have any other option. Now all I'm doing is lying to myself. Because obedience is always an option. Yeah. Maybe, give me some other ones. He, uh, followed the commandments. he did follow the commandments, that's right. Yes. Even in the face of stiff opposition, he was obedient. Yeah. Trusting in the Lord. Trusting in the Lord. Yeah. So, like if you look at chapter 19 and verse 19, it talks about his, his plea for why he was coming to God. Um, trusting in the Lord. Yes. Also, just... What was the motivation why he was coming to God? Chapter 19 and verse 19, it says, So now, O Lord, our God, save us, please, from his hand, that all the kingdoms of the earth may know that you, O Lord, are God alone. His desire was he was going to trust in the Lord, but he also wanted people, other people to trust in the Lord. He wanted other people to know, hey, this God is worth trusting. This God is worth following. This God is worth depending upon. This God is enough. And so, yeah, I mean, he's a great example of... I want to trust in you, Lord, so provide the way for me to trust in you. So many times, my motivations are more here than here. And I'm not worried so much about God's glory, I'm worried about man's opinion. And some of those things get betrayed in the way that I stop trusting in the Lord. Any other ideas of lessons that stick out to us? It's hard to walk by faith. It's hard to walk by faith. So what you see, what you hear, it's bombarded all the time. So. Yes. 
Yes. Yeah, it's a challenge. It's a choice, though. Where you came from isn't always where you're going. That's right. It's just a volleyball. It'll be okay. We're fine. (laughs) So where you came from is not always where you're going. That's good. Yes. Reading about other parts of his life, you kind of um, there's a lot to be said about his prayer life. Yeah. Um, and how important prayer is for your walk with um, God. And, um, there's a specific. There was a part of the, his story where he was very, very sick, and he was basically told by God, like, "I'm, you're not going to recover from this." And he prayed and he pled for his life, and then he got 15 more years, which I don't know at this point if I. <laughs> You know, he got it. And, yes. Um, I know we don't always get what we are praying for, but right. um, it's always a beautiful thing to have that prayerful relationship with God. Yeah, that's good. That's good. I got one other one. I know I'm out of time. I got one other one. Uh, look down there at Second Kings chapter 20. Second Kings chapter 20. Um, it says, chapter 20, verse 20. I'm sorry. I need to do a better job of... Street and address. Chapter 20, verse 20 says, The rest of the deeds of Hezekiah and all his might, and how he made the pool and the conduit and brought water into the city that are not written in the book of the chronicles of the kings of Judah. Um, and Hezekiah slept with his fathers, and Manasseh his son reigned in his place. Now, we got to think about tomorrow because tomorrow matters. So we know Ahaz, the father, all the vile, wicked stuff he did. We know how Hezekiah was faithful. Turn the steering wheel back to the right. But then, look, just the next generation, the son of Hezekiah. Tomorrow matters because it says down there in chapter 21 in verse 2, notice what Manasseh does. And he did what was evil in the sight of the Lord, which is what Shani was talking about, according to the despicable practices of the nations whom the Lord drove out before the people of Israel. For he rebuilt the high places that Hezekiah his father destroyed and erected altars for Baal and made an Asherah as Ahab, king of Israel, had done and worshipped all the hosts of heaven and served them. And he built altars in the house of the Lord of which the Lord had said in Jerusalem, I will put my name. Verse 5, And he built altars for all the hosts of heaven in the two courts of the house of the Lord. Verse 6, and he burned his son as an offering and used fortune telling and omens and dealt with mediums and with necromancers. What is, that, what is that telling us? That's telling us that Manasseh, he was alive. At least he had heard all the things that God had done for Hezekiah. Right? He had seen. We don't know exactly how much of it he's seen, but he had seen and he knew, hey, this is what Ahaz done. This is what my dad did. This is a God bless what my dad did. And then as soon as Manasseh comes on the scene, he goes right back to where Ahaz was and even goes another step farther. What is a lesson that comes to me? What a lesson that comes to me is, is that tomorrow matters. The instruction, the training, the discipling, the education. It matters. Upstairs, sanctuary, out here kicking a volleyball against the side of the building. It matters. I know that it is trying. It's sticky. I know it's ucky. I know that it's easier just to just the adults just handle it. I, I got it. And I'm not justifying bad behavior and I'm not excusing away disobedient, undisciplined children. I'm just saying tomorrow matters because we're not guaranteed the next generation that comes after us will have the same disposition towards the Lord that we are trying to have. How do we then influence? We can't control what they're going to do, but what can we do? What we can make sure and do is not leave them 
them any room to say, I didn't know what God wanted of me. Let them step to the world over your and I's biblical instruction. Let them run to the world past our devotion and commitment to God. Too many families today are saying one thing on Sunday and living another thing on Monday. And then they have their children that then grow up, get out of high school, start young adulthood. And what the young adults do is they just do on Sunday what they saw their mom and dad do on Friday. And then mom and dad go, what happened to my kid? Your kid is doing what you did on Friday, but now he is doing it on Sunday. And then we will say, well, oh man, it's a generational thing. And I'm not saying that I, I got my oldest 16, so I've got a lot of I've got a, I've got a lot of humility to uh, practice here. I mean, but it's one of those things that continue every single day is an opportunity to pour into. Every single day is an opportunity to instruct. Every single day is an opportunity to model and to show. And you may say, well, yeah, but I've lost some time. You may have lost some time now, but you still have time, Lord willing, in the future. So, maybe yesterday was the best swing at the plate, but maybe tomorrow you think, I I, I missed some opportunities, so then, or not today, you missed some opportunities, so then tomorrow say, tomorrow's my opportunity. I'm going to do it. I'm going to do it better. I'm going to do it more faithfully. I'm going to do it for the Lord. So, tomorrow matters. I'm out of time. Thank you all. Next week, Lord willing, we'll be in Isaiah. I'm looking at the life of Isaiah. So, I hope um, if there's anybody else that you're thinking of that we haven't covered yet, let me know afterwards or shoot me a text or somewhere. Just let me know and we'll make sure and put them on a list. So, I'm so grateful that you all were here tonight and uh, grateful that we get to have the opportunities at church to do the, the kind of things we do. Amen. Ron, will you close some word of prayer? And we'll go home. Thank you for joining us today at FBC Wellston. We would love to hear from you or connect with you if you will visit our website at fbcwellston.org. Please let us know if we can serve you in any way, and we look forward to connecting with you in the future.